Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Feeling lonely really stinks. When you have that sense inside that you don't have anybody that you really feel like you have a hard connection with. Um, it's not just about being alone, because you can be alone and still know that you and feel like you have those connections, but there are times in our lives where all of us, I think, find ourselves feeling lonely. And even if we know that we have people and connections and that, that loneliness, though, can, we still, like, it's like, well, it, it's, it's part of the result of sin coming into the world, this whole issue. Um, and I, I echo what Melanie was saying today about, you know, Valentine's Day, and you, if you're here or you're watching and you're feeling a sense of, you know, I don't have anybody, and it's like amplifying it to you, I want you to know something that, um, and this, this may sound hard to believe, but the reality is, is that a relationship with Christ can fill that void. In fact, having a relationship with Christ that fills that void will then make any other relationships you have so much better. And, and so God's plan is, is th- if, if we get with, align ourselves with him and what he's doing and what his ways are and his purposes and plans, then, then we will experience this blessing and that, the, yeah, the loneliness is going to show up from time to time, but it's not going to own us anymore. And that's good news. And if you're here today saying, well, I don't feel lonely, well, that's good news too for you. But still, what we have to talk about today is really, really important, really, really crucial. We're in this series talking about when the church was young. And, and so many times when Christians talk about the way things are supposed to be, we go back to the New Testament and look at, you know, when the church first started and what was it like and what was going on, and we try to learn some things from there. And there are some very powerful things that we need to learn, and sometimes I think things that we overlook a little bit. Maybe we overlook a lot. And this, is, uh, this idea of having people in our lives is something that God has addressed from the beginning of the world. And when the church was young, they got it. And we need to get it today. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. It's on page three of the Bible that's there under the chairs. I want you to see that God from the very beginning intended that we as human beings not be alone or lonely, but to be together with other human beings. So in Genesis chapter, I said one, I should say chapter two, God has created everything. He's created Adam. He's put Adam in the garden. He's brought animals to Adam to name them. And and Adam notices that there's, well, there's two kinds of each of these animals. There's a male and female. And he's looking around and there isn't one like him. 
In verse 18, it says this. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him, like him. But it is not good that man should be alone. Now, we tend to think of this, and we're going to see this, but in the context of marriage, um, and it is in the context of marriage, but it is more than that. Adam is representative of every human human being that will ever live. Okay? Um, And we see that for lots of reasons. We could trace that through the scripture. But so when he says it is not good that man should be alone, he is speaking of Adam and his need for somebody, but he's really talking about all of us. It is not good for us to be alone. Now, I would just say to you that I I noticed this in in my father's life in the last number of years of his life. Uh, A couple of things happened. And one was that uh, he began living in his motor home and traveling places and going places. And so almost all of the time he was alone. I mean, he might have gone in and got something to eat, but he was alone. Okay. And on top of that, he lost a lot of his hearing. He had a hard time hearing, which they say nowadays, they show that, you know, the loss of hearing uh, tends to uh, speed up uh, acquiring dementia and those kind of problems. But, and I think the reason it does is because it isolates us from the world around us. And I can tell you that for my father, all those years of being alone did not have a good effect on him. It brought problems into his life. It is not good for us to be alone. God does not intend for us to be alone. Now in the story here, we go down to verse 24. We see that God makes a woman. He calls her Eve. He brings her to Adam. And then God says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And we see this open relationship you know, no shame, nothing in between them. It was amazing. It's, it's really the way, when we desire a relationship with another person like this, it, that's what we're longing for. But there's a problem, isn't there? Sin came into the world. And I want to say again that even though this is a marriage relationship, that, that if, if this had continued... If, if sin had not come to the world, Adam and Eve had not chosen to disobey God, that they would have borne children and they would have grown and, and this would have all gone on and we would have all had these relationships that were open. And, and when I say intimate, I don't mean sexually intimate. I mean intimate of the fact that you can, I, I let you really see who I am and what's in my heart and mind and you do the same with me. And so, I mean... This is what God's desire was for the whole world, not just one couple. And I would say to you that at this time, Adam and Eve were what? The whole world. Right? They were. And that this was God's intent for all of us. And there would have been married relationships, yes, but then there would have been relationships with all sorts of people. We see what happened in chapter 3. We know the story. Satan comes and tempts through the serpent, Adam and Eve, and They buy into it. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And let me say to you, there was nothing wrong with them being naked. But what happened is all of a sudden from being open and connected, all of a sudden sin brought this terrible self-centered focus. It's like, whoa, all of a sudden they were thinking about themselves and so they went into hiding. Then the eyes of them, they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So they began hiding from each other. And I think, once again, that's symbolic of more than just covering themselves physically. They went into hiding in lots of ways with each other. And can we be real um, open with each other here today? and honest with ourselves and before God? Aren't there today still ways in your life and places and things that you're in hiding about? Right? That you aren't just freely open about, even with the people who are closest to you. That's a result of sin, okay? And, and it's a natural result of sin, but it's one that God is doing something, has done something about. Verse number eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So now they've gone into hiding from God as well. Okay, this is a bad situation. And it is a situation which has continued for everybody who's been affected by sin. But God has not ignored it. God has not left that problem alone. Okay? He has addressed it. And this idea that we see man was first separated from God because of his sin. There was a disconnection there. The relationship, there, were, there was things in between man and God now. And that was that sin. Well, last week we talked about this, what God did for us when Jesus went to the cross. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he says this, for the love of Christ compels us, God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And you remember, we said as Jesus hung on the cross, we hadn't done anything to make things right. We didn't deserve anything from him except the condemnation that we had rightfully earned. But it says that Jesus on the cross, that God was with there, reconciling the world to himself. And that means that on God's side of this equation, so to speak, God removed every barrier that there was. He took away every reason that we might have to hide and to stay away. Now, we need to make a decision about that. We need to believe that, don't we? We need to trust and receive Christ as Savior to experience, to complete that reconciliation. But God has done everything on his side, okay, to remove that so we can have a relationship with God. What an amazing thing. You know, there are times when I sit, you know, if, more often than not when I'm sitting with, with my Bible and having some time with the Lord that I just sit there and ponder that having a relationship with the God of the universe and the fact that it is so personal. Sometimes I can't get my head around that. I mean, I, I enjoy it. And I love it and I experience it, but I can't. How does that even happen? But God has done that because he wants that relationship with us. And I think even more important, he wants us to have that relationship with him. Okay? Now... So God has opened up a way for us to, to be restored and to even grow closer into this relationship with him. But he's also done something with us. The same way that we were 
Let's think. What did sin do? Sin caused us as human beings to go into hiding, to hide from each other and to hide from God. Well, God has taken away the reason to hide from him, but he's also taken away the reason to hide from each other. And we see that the, the Lord intends that this would be our experience in life. And so as he's getting ready to you know, go to the cross and complete you know, redemption for us, he's talking to his disciples. And we know this passage, but he says this in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he makes it this way. As I have loved you, so you love one another. All right, so the kind of love that we can experience from God, which is what? It's been opened. There's no reason to hide. He says, I want you to have that same relationship with each other. You love each other the way I've loved you. Let's remove those barriers and let's become open. Let's become intimately related to each other. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark and see uh, just an example of Jesus, how he interacted with the apostles, and, and it, it really kind of sets the stage. We're looking here in Mark chapter 3 uh, at the church in embryonic form, okay? Verse 13 of chapter 3. Now, Jesus has been doing all sorts of things, healings, casting out demons, and he's, he's drawn a great crowd. Verse 13, and he went up, Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be, what's the next word? With him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. But once you see this, from the very beginning, when, God, when Jesus begins creating the church, he calls people to himself very much like he calls us, right? He called me April 4th, 1975. Actually, he was pulling at me for a long time before that. But he called me and, and I came to Christ at that time. Um, so same with us. But then he, he says that he wants them to be what? Why did, he, why did he appoint 12? We would say he appointed 12. Well, let's see. Let's get real scholarly. He appointed 12 because let's see there's 12 tribes of Israel. And I ah, forget that. Okay. Uh, also, um, well, he had a job he wanted to do. Yeah, he did. But let's look at this again. Let's look at what the word says. Verse 14. Then he appointed 12 that they might be what? With him. With him. With him, but not just with him. Together with him. Right? He didn't just call Peter to be with him. He called Peter and all the other guys to be with him. That they were to be together from the very beginning of God uh, bringing about you know, what's, what's going to become the church as we know it. Um, it's about them. It's not about him. It's not about her. It's about them. And it includes him and her. Includes them all. So let's continue reading. So these are the people that, that God puts together. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and we know all the stories of Peter, right? 
Well, he was always saying something that he should have thought longer about before he said, you know, and responding in some way that the Lord had to say, hold on, Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. And if two brothers were named sons of thunder, that was their nickname, what would you think? What would you expect? This is going to be stuff's going to happen, isn't it? Stuff is going to happen. Uh, Andrew. Andrew was uh, very much about listening and evaluating and then going and connecting with other people about what he was learning. Philip. Uh, Philip was a friend of Andrew's. And Philip, uh, we know, ends up having four daughters. He, he, he's an evangelist, so he's able to, to go out and speak. Bartholomew, who we probably also know as Nathaniel. He was a meditative kind of guy, meditating on the word, thinking about what it means, trying to figure out how to apply it in life. Matthew had been, uh, in essence, sort of a, a traitor to Israel because he, he took a job collecting taxes for their occupying enemy, Rome. Thomas, who we know was, you know, I got to see it to believe it kind of guy. James, the son of Alphaeus, other places called James the Less. Lesser, which means he, there were two James in there. This one was either the shorter one or the younger one, okay? Uh, Thaddeus, who we also uh, know as Jude. Thaddeus may have been a nickname for him, but his name means childlike, a childlike heart. And so Thaddeus, have you ever known anybody like that that just like was a kid at heart? Well, that's Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanite, uh, and elsewhere he's called Simon the Zealot. And um, they mean the same thing coming from different root words, different languages. But it's not the zealot. Like there, there were people who were rebels and actually were in hiding and, and actively working in opposition to the Roman government. That's not who he was. This is zealous. It's just he was a zealous kind of guy. Have you ever known anybody that's just really intense about whatever they're doing? Anybody? Maybe it's you. Okay, that's who this guy was. And then certain Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, sad part, and they went into a house. But I want you to see, the Lord called all these different kind of people. He called people that were different from each other. And he purposefully chose them that way. Why? Well, I'm, I'm thinking they must have needed each other. I'm thinking that they were better off having each other in their lives. Now, do you think it was always easier? In fact, we, we read stories, don't we? We read along and all of a sudden, oh, those guys aren't getting along with each other. And Jesus has to deal with it. <laughs> okay, so that's real. But you see, this is very much, what I want you to see is that from the beginning here, the, the Lord, he's calling people to be with him together. To be together with him. Okay? And so... When the church was young, they highly, highly valued each other and this relationship that they had. Highly valued. In fact, I think they came to discover that they were meant for each other. In the church, we were meant for each other. You know, you think, we, we think about, we talk about someone's meant for each other, we're usually talking about a romantic relationship. Oh, they were meant for each other, right? Yeah, but I want you to understand that the same thing is true in the church. And we don't always feel that way. I get it. And we're works in progress and we're trying to, you know, get there. But the, this is truth. 
And the, the early church understood this. And I want you to see. So they're, they're with Jesus. For three years, these guys are with Jesus, basically. And other people around, they're with him. And he dies and, and rises and goes off to heaven and leaves them there. What do they now do? Okay, let's, take, let's look at some examples. Right away here in the book of Acts. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Who? Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Yes, stuff was happening. Stuff was happening. But what did they, what did they make sure they did while stuff was happening? They what? They stayed together. They came together. Because that's what they did. They had learned this during their time with Jesus. Is that we are together. And where was Jesus at this time? This is almost a trick question. Where was Jesus? He'd gone to heaven, but I want to say to you, he was in them, wasn't he? He was in each and every one of them. And he was in them together. So they are still together with him. So let's look how this plays out. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, Now all who believe were together. There's that word again. And they had all things in common. They shared. If, if, if I had something and you really needed it, I'm going to share it with you and vice versa. But they were together. And this is how their hearts were. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So Peter and John, the disciples, but they are when they're going to do something and minister, they go together, okay? They're not isolated and doing this thing on their own. Um, in Acts chapter three, or I just read that, okay, so Acts chapter four. This is after they have been taken before the religious leaders and told not to preach, and they come back and they get together with the church, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They all did this together. Uh, when, when the church gets together, God works. Amen. When the church comes together as God intends, God works. Okay? So let's jump way down uh, in, in Acts to chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. So let's just stop right there. Every day... I mean, every week, they did what? They made a point to get together. And break bread it may have included the Lord's Supper, but I think the point here is they got together and they shared a meal together. There's something special about that, isn't there? Sitting out with people and sharing a meal together. And so they did that. And so they came together to break bread. And Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. And every time I read that, I think I should stop apologizing when I preach more than 40 minutes. Special occasion, I know. But what I want you to see is they valued getting together. They valued coming together and, and having, it wasn't just Paul ministering to them, it was the Lord ministering to them and then they also ministering to one another. They were together in this. When the church was young, they highly valued these relationships. There's no doubt about it. Go to Ephesians chapter one. In your Bible. Um, one of the things that the Apostle Paul made it a point to teach 
people who came to Christ, and, and they were all new believers, right, at this time. Um, but it was about this aspect of their relationship with each other. So verse number 15, chapter 1, he says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Let's just stop right there. What were the two things that happened in Eden, in the sin? They were separated what? From God and from each other. But see what God has done? God has done what needs to happen for both of those to be fixed. Because what's he say? I thank God for your faith in Christ, your faith. That relationship is now open and right. And for your love for all the saints. And by the way, saints, and if you're listening today, this may be new to you. Most of you probably know it. Saints, the word saints means holy ones. And the Bible uses that word to describe every Christian. Every person who has come to receive Jesus Christ as Savior in the Bible is called a saint. Okay, so that's Saint Walter here today. Please don't call me that. But, okay, it is. It's Saint, put your name there. That's who you are. Okay. But anyway, so we see both, faith to God and love. And he says, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So he's saying, I, I, I'm asking God to help you to see and understand what it means to have a relationship with him and to be wise then in applying that in your life. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being lightened and helping you to see I'm asking God to do this for you. Why, Paul? Why are you asking that? He says this, that you may know. Okay, I'm asking God for all of this, that you may know something. And then he, there's three things that he says that you may know. Three things. And out of all the things that Paul could have talked to them about, he said, these are the three things I want you to know. And I'm asking God to enable you to see and understand this, that you can know these three things. These must be important things, huh? He picks these three. The first one, he says, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. And what this means is, it's talking about our relationship with Christ. And what's that mean? We've been called into relationship with Christ. And that means that his death has uh, paid the penalty for our sins. In fact, we find out that we actually died with him. Our old nature died with him. And now he's alive in us and we have a new nature in him. And, and he considers us blameless and holy, saints and, and loving. And we look a lot like Jesus in our deepest part of our soul. All these things. And he says that, that you would know this because this gives us the hope and the certainty of what God is doing. Let's jump to verse 19. And he says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The power of God in Christ. A resurrection power. A power that overcomes death. That overcomes death within us and overcomes death eventually in the resurrection for us. Uh, the power of God that works in us. Those two things we might have expected to be in the list, right? That you'd know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and that you'd know the power of God in your life. Right in the middle of those. Verse 18, he says that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Then he says this, and that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Where? In the saints. In you. 
in me. So that when we come to Christ, a saving relationship with Christ, there is now an inheritance for us. God has an inheritance for us. And it probably includes a lot of things, but Paul here makes it very clear that this inheritance that he's talking about is something that we can have right now that we already do have right now. And it is a rich inheritance. And where is it? Take a look around. Really, I, I not make you, let me make you uncomfortable. Look around a little bit. There's your inheritance. You say, what? I thought it was going to be something good. <laughs> See, that's because we aren't seeing it right. Paul here is telling us that the rich, rich inheritance that God has given us is, is found in each other. And not just me, and not just you, but us. All of us. Yeah, and like I said, we're works in progress, right? Sometimes we're more messed up than other times. But did you know, if we were to take the time to look in Ephesians chapter 3, the Bible tells us that God is showing the heavenly realms, whether this is the angels, or whether it's Satan, the demons, or whatever, he's saying, let me show you my wisdom. And then he points at us. Now, either, it's, either we demonstrate his wisdom and his, the rich, either we are a demonstration of that or we are seeing it wrong. That's the only two options. Because that's what we are. And so Paul teaches them this. So how do we see this? Paul, he teaches this not just overtly where he's telling them like I'm telling you today, but he's modeling it because it's real to him. Let's look at some examples. Go ahead. He, Paul says, right in the Romans, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. I hope that my, I want my faith to be an encouragement to you and your faith to be an encouragement to me. And it is, isn't it? Yes. I don't know about you, when I see, talk to someone and, and, and they express something of, of faith, it just so encourages me. Toward the end of the book, he says, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me. We're in this together with me in prayers to God for me that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. I like that word refreshed. Yeah. You like that word? Yeah. To feel refreshed. You know, that is such a, and awesome things. And he's talking about being refreshed on the inside together. But this refreshment doesn't occur if there's no together. Right? Okay. Let's continue to look at examples. Second Corinthians. He says, I, oh, by the way, so the context for this, Paul has had to deal harshly sometimes with the Corinthian church because they had a lot of things in their life, that, their, their church life that just weren't right. And so he had had to say some hard things. Now he's coming back and saying, I do not say this to condemn. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. You are in my heart. I hope I'm in your heart, right? To live together or die together, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's and we are in it together our hearts. 
And then Ephesians chapter 2, talking about a temple that God is building, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The moment you received Jesus' Savior, did He move into you? He did. The Holy Spirit moved. The moment you received Savior, so He's in you, and He's in me, and I could go through the list. He's in you, and you, and you, and you. And we say, oh, that's what this means. No, it doesn't. That, the Bible talks about that elsewhere. He says that somehow, someway, he's putting us together the way a master architect would build a temple. And it's going to be a dwelling place for God. So yes, God dwells in me. God dwells in you. But God also intends to dwell in us. Is this making sense? Okay. So let's continue. Let's go over to Ephesians 4. Paul says, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So he's put me in the body and he's put you in the body and when we come in and function to our part it isn't that, oh, I get edified though I probably do. It's that we get edified. Right, we, there's something about this, that, that this love that the Lord intends for us to experience in this relationship that the world does not have. The world does not understand this. The world can't experience this. Now they can see it and they can want it and that's a good thing and that's one of the ways God uses to draw people to himself. But it's about us together. And then he prays for the Colossians whom he hasn't met, believers he hasn't even met. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Okay, let's continue. And then, remember the people in Thessalonica were worried. They thought that Jesus may have already come and it wasn't going to happen. The people who died, Jesus, or Paul says, no, 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 Jesus, you'll know when he comes and we're all going to go together. He says, that, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up together with them. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The Apostle Paul believed that this idea that we would be together with Jesus. We think about, oh yeah, I'm going to be with Jesus. Yeah, and you're going to be with Jesus. But that's not, I don't think that's, he doesn't say be comforted, you're going to be with Jesus. He says, be comforted, we are going to be with Jesus. There's a we involved, isn't there? Okay? A very, very important thing for us to understand. Now, Paul writes a letter to a friend of his, Philemon, about a specific issue, but I want to see how he describes his friend. He says, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the heart of the saints, and who's that? Who is that? Yes, thank you, Jamie. Who is this? It's us. We have great joy and consolation because the hearts of the saints, and he's talking about the people it is time, but have been refreshed by you, brother. God's intent is that in this relationship, I already said it, that we experience refreshing. Okay? It isn't just Paul who's felt refreshed by Philemon. All the believers have. And now, if you remember the story... He, Paul was sending a man back to him that Paul had led to Christ that turned out had been a slave that belonged to Philemon. And he's sending him back. 
to the master he had run away from. And he says this to Philemon. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart. So Paul's, I'm connected by heart to this guy. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He says, Philemon is now, has a different, I mean, Onesimus, the slave, has a different relationship with you now. And it's, it's, it's like not one step up, is it? It's like pfft, however many steps up. Now, what makes Paul look at all of these things this way? Well, Jesus himself tells us. Okay, let's look. In dealing with hard things in the church, he's talking about, he says, you can deal with these things because where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So when you and I come together as the church, that's coming together in Jesus' name. When we come as the church, is Jesus present? Yes. Okay. Yes, again, we think, oh, he's present in me, he's present, yeah, but no, there's something different. He says when the church gathers in his name, he is present in some special way. And, and this is why Paul prayed, oh God, open their eyes to this. Give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might see that their eyes, understanding of it might be enlightened. That we might see this and understand it. That Jesus really is present with us. And so here's the point. Jesus is powerfully present. He's present in a powerful way when his people gather as the church. We already saw this earlier, Acts 4.31. They, they gathered together and they prayed and the place was shaken, right? The power of God is present in a special way. So when the church gathers, Jesus is present. And when Jesus is present, there is glory in the church. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says this. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So we, become, we meet as the church doing what God has given us to do, uh, you know, us together with Christ. Jesus is here. And when Jesus is in the church, there's what? Glory in the church. In fact, it's interesting as we were singing today, open up the heavens, right? And, and I get that and the sentiment of it, but you know what it almost needs to be is open up our hearts and minds. And we will see the glory of Jesus here. And not just here, when we gather other places. It doesn't have to be all of us together. But when the church gets together. So if we miss this, we will devalue the church. Not that we're conscious and say, oh, I don't like the church. No, we, we, we don't count it as valuable as it is. We're devaluing it. And, you know, have you ever heard anybody say it? I've, I've heard a person say it, and I've also read it. You know, well, I really like Jesus, but I don't like the church. Christians. You know, we don't have that option. I mean, we always have the option. We can forget it. But the point is, the Lord's intent, we don't have that option. We are to uh, value the church. It'd be like me saying to you, you know what? I really, really like you, but I just can't stand your body. How well would that work? And so we can't do that to Jesus. No, God, I, Jesus, I, I love you and I love your body. I love the body of Christ. 
So when the church was, was young, they, they valued each other. They saw Jesus in each other. They valued what he was doing. They valued the fact that they were together. It wasn't just a, a me or you. It was an us with Jesus and Jesus in a very powerful and special way. You know, I think that they knew something that we often forget. We know it, and if I asked you, you'd say, oh, I know that, but I think we forget it for all practical purposes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, God has set the members, each one of them in the body, look at this, just as he pleased. Who am I or who are you to say, I don't matter. It doesn't matter whether I'm there or not. It doesn't matter whether I connect or not. It doesn't matter. Because who am I? Well, who you are is somebody that God himself took and put into the body because it pleased him that you were there and that you were a part of it. Isn't that something to think? So he's put us all together in a way that pleases him. And if I remember that, then all of a sudden, every one of you become very significant to me. Because you're not just somebody who's hanging around. And by the way, let's admit it. Some of us are bigger pains than others, right? And I've been one of the pains from time to time. Doesn't matter. God has connected you and me. He put us in the church together. You matter. You matter in my life. If I believe God about this and act like that's true, it's going to make a difference in my life and there's going to be glory in the church. Be encouraged that you are a part because God has made you that way. They've put you in here. And so, so just a few quick truths here. God has connected us with each other. He's connected us I got the life of God in me and you got the life of God in you and we got the life of God in us, right? He has connected us. And um, not quite ready for that one, but thanks. Um, I experienced this in Brazil back in 1997 and again in Portugal last year, year ago, two years ago. When we went to Brazil, we flew overnight, we got there, we're tired, but we get there and we go to meet the church and it's, they've prepared a meal for us. I can't say, speak Portuguese other than a few little words and they couldn't speak English. But there were 11 of us from our church there. And you know what, there was a connection. There was something that was very, very real because we were really, really connected by Jesus in us, and Jesus was there. Uh, haven't you experienced this in your life? Have you ever been in a room with people that you don't know, and what's going on, all of a sudden you notice someone, and you think, man, it seems to me like that person is a Christian. Now you aren't always right, but you know what, you're right often enough that that tells you what? There's something, there's a connection. God has connected us. And then our church is the handiwork of God. If he's, if he's put us together as he pleases, our church is the handiwork of God. Shouldn't we value that highly? Probably more highly than we do. Shouldn't we remember that? 
I'm, oh man. So I was going through the sermon, I'm sitting here thinking I'm envisioning where you, know, you guys sit and, and what God has done in your life and the connections and, and this awesome blessing. And by the way, that's why you goof me up when you move where you're sitting. And, uh, <laughs> but I'm serious. I think about, I, I, could, I, I think, unless you're a guest here today, I could walk around and talk to every one of you about something that God has done and how we have shared in that together. Oh, how precious is that? And I, I go away encouraged. I see my, this, this life group on Wednesday nights online and we're online and, and they're all tired and they don't want to talk and, and I don't want to talk either. And by the time we're all done, I'm so glad I spent the time with them. That was a really bad advertisement for the life group. <laughs> it's better than that, isn't it, Stephen? Yeah. It's way better than that. Yes. Okay. And so every church is God's handiwork. Every church and the members in it must choose to view it that way. And if we don't view it that way, we're devaluing what God has given to us. And then finally, we need to believe personally that the church is invaluable to us. It's invaluable. We can't place a value on it. So how do you see the church today? How have you been living in your life? If, if we were to look at your life, or not, not us, if you look at your life and evaluate, you know, how have I been living? Have I been really valuing the church that way? And I can understand, you know, if, 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 if church for you is just that you come on a Sunday and you sing some songs and hear a message and leave, I would understand why you wouldn't experience that. But I think if we start to value the church the way the Lord, way, the way it really is, that's going to change us. And those things that we look at when the church was young and what they were like, we will experience. And thankfully, I know so many of you do love the church and value the church. And those of you who don't yet, it's just because you haven't seen. You haven't really realized it. You haven't believed it. Maybe you don't have a, a, a relationship with him. And if you need to receive Christ as Savior, we'd love to help you with that. John says that we know that someone has passed from life to death because they love the brother. They love each other. Um, so let me end with this. Think about a swimming pool. If you get in the pool, whether you dive in like some people crazily do, or you wade in like I do and go, ooh, 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 finally get in. Get in the pool, you're going to get wet, aren't you? You get wet. When you get out of the pool, you start to dry off. Okay? That's fine in a pool. Makes sense. But when we get into the pool of the church, we get wet. We get wet with the body of Christ. We get wet with the love of Jesus. We get wet with the intentions of God in the church. We get wet with that. But then when we get out of the church, we start to dry out. And, and so we get back in the church. So, but if you get out of the church, and the longer you stay out of the church, the drier you get. And I've talked to people who have had time, some of you maybe today, I don't know, but who have been away from the church for a lengthy period of time. And they've, God has brought them back. 
and they've responded, and, and I've talked to them and say, you know, it seems to me that what happens, people get out and then they, they hit and miss, and then they hit and miss more, more miss than hit, and they, they get drier and drier, and it isn't, they don't feel like they're being affected. But their soul is slowly but surely drying out because they don't have what God intended for them to have. So let me encourage you. Whatever it takes for you to be connected to the body of Christ. And if you're watching, you say, I can't come because of this reason, that reason. Great. Find some other way to connect, okay? There are other ways to connect. But let's do it, right? Let's go back the way it was when the church was young. And I, I could tell, I think this is one of the reasons that somehow Christianity survived. It's because of the church and what it really was. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray, I thank you, Lord, for each and every person here, and everyone who's watching, Lord, those who will watch. Oh, God, thank you that you've given us to each other. Help us to value one another highly, remembering that you put us into this body as you, as it pleased you, and, and that you are present here, and we can experience your presence together. Thank you so much for this, Father. Please stir our hearts about what we need to do to live this out even more. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Thank you. Go be the church.